0: Welcome to season six of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xdan. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. Two guarantees that we maintain, you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 129 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. As you know, this show is brought to you by Powers of Marketing. So friends, Jen is not with me again today. It's been a challenging time for us to schedule together these days. So um, and then also, I'll be taking a much-deserved extended vacation in July. It's been crazy few months, so we will have a little bit of a summer break like we used to do in the first couple of seasons. I may get one more episode in for Season 6, but this might be the last one before we kick off Season 7 in August. Again, lucky number 7 with our annual sure. reunion shows. So, And I'm really, really happy to have our guest on today. Her first episode with us. Was 88 and it has the fourth most downloads all time. So, you know, it's going to be a good one. Welcome to the show, Cass Cooper.
1: Hello. I'm so glad to be back. This is going to be really fun. Y'all have done so many great things in the last two years. So, it's good to catch up.
0: Thanks. Yeah. I had less of a risk of mispronouncing your name this time. (laughs) We'll (laughs) dig into that a little bit. (laughs) For sure. Um, For sure. Yeah. All right. So, on that, let me read your bio. Real quick. All right, Cass Cooper is laser focused on bringing equity and inclusion to the IT channel and tech by building inclusive cultures and removing bias from institutional processes. As the DEI community leader at the channel company, Cooper assists organizations as they create cultures that thrive in business because of their inclusivity. She's an expert chaos whisperer, assisting leaders as they make sense of the cultural complexities of bias and exclusion. She builds on what teams do well while filling in the gaps of what's unknown to streamline processes to create healthy corporate cultures and increase a sense of belonging. Cooper knows that data-driven change management is the key to inclusion because when organizations know better, they do better. Cooper received her B.A. in Women's and Gender Studies from DePaul University in Chicago and a Master of Human Relations Inclusive Leadership from the University of Oklahoma. Her 20 years as an award-winning sales, events, and hospitality professional has fueled her passion for people, processes, and organizational culture. Her superpower is making sense of what may feel like chaos while developing business practices that put people at the center. The future of successful businesses hinges on their organizational ability to maintain a space where their members are seen, valued, respected, and protected. She is also an avid reader podcast consumer we love that and mom to one tiny human in many plants I love yes that. many plants <laughs> <laughs> I have like bare minimum of what I try regularly to not kill um I'm not, so I'm, I don't one know, a green thing thumb.
1: so truth be told I kind of don't either but I have accepted the fact that you don't have to be good at your hobbies to enjoy them so like if I kill a plant I'm like you know what I tried that was not for me let me just replace it or try something else or is there any little bud that I can fix? Like you don't have to be good at your hobbies. That's my I'm living by that right now.
0: I like that. That's good. Yeah. I like it, especially if it's art, because a lot of yeah. people are not are not good at art. <laughs> no. No. All right. So as I said, we had you on episode 88. So it's been a couple of years. So I mm-hmm. wanted to start out with kind of what you've been up to, how life has changed. I think you've been through some pretty significant personal and professional changes in the last couple yeah. years.
1: Yeah. So when we first talked um, I was developing my inclusive leadership strategies and really working for myself as an independent consultant. Um, And that was going really, really well. And I really enjoyed it. But I also kind of missed being internal to an organization. So I started kind of looking for a space where I can land to really make some good impact and change, but still be able to work a little bit on my own. So that's how I landed at the channel company. We are a media company. So we are the largest online publisher and magazine, uh, most likely circulated magazine in the tech industry outside of the Wall Street Journal. Um, We have a 40-year history as marketers started just as a magazine, and we are a global company now representing um, the UK, um, EMEA in general, APJ, the US, and Canada. So my role here is the equity and inclusion, um, community leader is my official title, but I really see myself as an internal and external advisor to all things tech and channel. So uh, the IT channel is a complex place. I did not know it existed until I got this job. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a whole world of marketers and researchers and people who develop great products like the products we use every day that are behind the scenes that you never really get to experience because you just trust that your device is going to work but there's a whole people who create the security and the software and all the things that go into it so yeah very cool
0: yeah i'm working for a tech company now and our software is totally embedded behind the scenes making payment data secure. So yeah, I can relate to that being like that it being a thing that how would you even know? You just you just hope, you know, right. You yeah. just hope that all your personal information and your card information, everything stays safe. Although. Shockingly, there's still data breaches all the time. Like I don't know how companies are still allowing that to happen to themselves, but yeah, we're well, into the consumers have, as a result. You we know.
1: have a lot of people who would be interested in helping people solve that problem. So we, I would yeah. love to. We can talk about more that more online. That's not what we're here. Cool. for. No, I like. Yeah, it. I had a name change, as you can tell. I went from married to unmarried, and so I am now Cassandra Ray Cooper. That is my official legal name. So that's a change also. So being a solo parent, like navigating work. I don't like saying single parent. I like saying head of household because I think that that's a little bit more accurate for my role in my little one's life. And yeah, that's it. And that's all. It's a lot, but it's cool. It's been a great two years. Um, A lot of good career growth, a lot of personal growth. So excited to unpack all that with you.
0: Very good. Okay. So th- the last time we had you on, we talked about personal branding. And as yeah. I said, fourth most downloaded episode. Y'all. Also, if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to 88. And if you look in Podbean, you can do a search just on Cass and her episodes will come right up. So how have the last couple of years and have they impacted or changed your own personal brand?
1: They have changed my personal brand. I think though, the biggest thing is I was really glad to have a personal brand as I made these changes because it allowed me to like lean on my network a little bit to help me navigate what would be the most logical next step. It was just an essential part of what I was doing. And then when I came to where I landed now, that personal branding was able to flourish, right? Like I had it conceptually already established. I knew what I wanted out of how I showed up um, at events and networking and online. I had all of those legs to the stool. So when it came to sit on the stool, I was really, really well-prepared. I would say overall, the change I think is, I think I've really better integrated my personal and professional existence because that has, I think that just comes with being older, right? Like you just get older, you get wiser, you have less time for the separation of who you are personally and professionally, and it just kind of integrates into like who you are. So one thing I'm really glad about is I can show up as my full self. And I think that's also part of the work that I do is being a leader in that way and being able to show up as my full authentic self um, as part of my personal brand so that other people can feel comfortable to do that as well. Big believer in leading by example,
0: you can't tell people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. So uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. So it's interesting, as you were talking, it kind of brought to mind for me now that remote work is, you know, primary thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's not like harder to show up as yourself when you're only online, but there's something different about it. Right. Like there's I think a lot of times we just like jump right to the business and you don't you're not getting to know people as people that you're working Mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. like you used to. So how do you navigate that? Like, you know, kind of just what are your thoughts on showing up online versus the in person, which tends to be a little bit easier, I think.
1: Yeah. So I think especially in a more corporate culture, like there's this whole like transactional thing. Of we're going to get on this meeting, we're going to get on this call, and this is the purpose of the call. Here's the agenda. And there's not a lot of, because we're so meeting the meeting the meeting and back to back to back, right? Like we don't make time to Make those personal connections. So I think the remote work has its benefits, right? Like, because you can be flexible and you can work when you need to and take time off and maybe like be with your kid or your dog or whatever that your significant other, whatever that looks like. But it does have its drawbacks of like you get in this transactional of like, I need to be in my seat at this meeting to do this thing. And then I'm going to move on. So I'm going to do the next thing. And for me, again, part of my personal like leadership style is I take five minutes. How are you? Right. Like in bigger meetings, you can't really do that. Right. But like in smaller one-on-ones, or if there's, let's say less than six people, like, Everybody good? Like anything going on? Like I try to like make jokes, right? Playing music at the beginning of a meeting is always good. Um, You know her well, Melissa Major. She's always down for the brain break, right? Like we got to have those things built in. I have a colleague. She's like, we're not going to be on camera today. Everybody grab your device, your phone, whatever, and go outside. And she's like, we're going to sit outside. And she's like, if you don't want to sit outside, that's cool. But you're not obligated to have your camera on, like get away from your desk. Right. I think sometimes giving people permission to be a human (laughs) goes a long way. Right. You just got to say, Hey, like you've been in that seat for however long and like, let's get up and go outside let's figure out and you have permission to do that instead of because some people will take it no matter what but some people really will work from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and you got to be able to tell them like yo you're not going to be your best self if you're staying always on
0: for sure i like that even if i just like had permission to go over to the couch that's not to say that i've never taken a meeting from the couch (laughs) because i definitely have
1: (laughs) yeah i have a couch in my office like it's right over there so i'll get up and i'll grab my phone and I'll go sit over there and I'll answer emails from my phone on the couch. Like, yeah. it's the same thing. Nobody knows. Totally. I love yeah.
0: that. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. So marketing can be challenging in what you call the age of trolls and counterculture wars. So yes. how can marketers cut through the noise and maintain a positive brand image in light of that, you know, I mean how we market what's scary, uncomfortable, and counterculture is probably a totally separate question. But that I liked that you stated that in our pre-show exchanges. So what do you think? Yeah.
1: So I think the biggest thing right now is we're in a really crazy space that we've never been in before with everyone having access to so much information, so much misinformation so much disinformation, that it is really, really hard for marketers to accurately and effectively not just target the group they want to speak to, but reach and break through to the market. Like It's one thing to find your audience, but it's a whole other thing to communicate your message well. And so it's really hard to do that. I think for me, the biggest thing is maintaining a sense of kind of like freshness, right? Like, I really lean on younger folks. I know I don't look it, but I'm a geriatric millennial. I recognize that about myself. So I lean on younger folks to tell me kind of like what apps people are using, what, you know, things people are like leaning towards to kind of make sure I catch people's eye quickly and effectively. Right. I also think that being clear about what you stand for in an age where people are Also clear about what they do and don't stand for goes a long way. I think sometimes we underestimate how effective just being clear is to our audience and our message that they people can cut through and like they'll dismiss you if they don't think that you're being genuine. And so your message has to be genuine and to the point and just keep it simple. Right. Clear is kind. Kind is effective.
0: Right. Well, and I think not feeding trolls is one thing. But also I find the most interesting responses to troll like activity. Obviously, Twitter being like a a main offender platform for all of that. For those of us who are
1: still on Twitter, because some of us have
0: just abandoned it. I know. I'm still on there. But you're better than me because I don't know the last uh, time I tweeted. (laughs) (laughs) Taking the time to respond to things thoughtfully in a way that kind of doesn't break that troll down necessarily, but kind of yeah. I think, like you said, being kind, but also just being deliberately yeah. I don't know, clear Some about point. yeah, and being yeah, clear. And not offensive and not well, like because that's the how things spiral, right?
1: And I think the whole purpose of a troll is to get you off of your message, right? That's their right. only thing. They're trying to get you to emotionally react, to get you off message, to get you off brand, right? But if you know your brand and you know it well, if you know your message, and you know it well, then you can come back with and say like, okay, well, thank you so much, but that's actually really not what we're talking about. I'm talking about this. Or right. you can say essentially to the effect of leaning into the facts, right? Like we, facts are our friends. The fact of the matter is that ABC ABCX, especially like now that I'm doing equity and inclusion work, the facts really do speak for themselves as far as why inclusion matters. And so you can easily dismiss me By saying, well, that's not my experience. But if I have a survey and some data and some information that I can come back with you, then you can't argue facts and like, let me cite my sources, right? Or even asking them, well, where did you hear that? And not rude, but like, okay, educate me. Tell me the thing. But I think it is realizing that trolls main their main goal is to get you off message and don't get off message. Like your message is your message and you know it and it's clear and you know, it also takes a yeah. lot of emotional intelligence. Honestly, I have a new rule, though. I'll hit you to it. This okay. I don't share this with a lot of people, but my new rule on LinkedIn is I don't argue with anyone who has less followers than me. Oh, interesting. Because I'll go to your page. and If you say something and I'm like, huh, that's weird. And I see that you're like, and you've got like less than 500 followers. I'm not going to engage with your comment. I'm going to leave it up. I'm not going to delete it because I feel like, OK, cool but I'm not going to engage with your comment. I'm not going to click or like, or dislike or anything like that, because that's just feeding your viewership. Right. right. You're not that's helping totally. me any, but if you have right. similar followers in me, then I'll engage in a conversation. I'm also a big fan of the direct message. So like, Hey, I saw that you had, we were having this conversation and like, tell me more about that. You know? And usually that, they don't really want right. to have a real conversation. They just want to get you off message.
0: Yeah. I am often surprised at how unprofessional people are on a professional platform like LinkedIn. I mean, it blows my mind that that they are not understanding that they're affecting their own personal brand. Yeah. By because it's who they are, right? You're not hiding behind a, a fake username, you know, or any of that <laughs> stuff on LinkedIn, right? Like people do on Twitter.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's an interesting point about professionalism. It goes back to like, we're living in this post-pandemic, post-vaccine world where professionalism lines were clearly blurred. I also, as a caveat, like star that professionalism as a concept to me is very problematic, but that's for another time. Okay. But (laughs) I, I think people don't, it's like, we were so used to like engaging with people only online that some of those skills of decorum and kindness. I don't want to say decorum, but some of those skills of how to speak to people and disagree with them, but still respecting them as a human disappears because we're behind a screen, we're behind a keyboard, whatever that looks like. And, and it is, it's like, I see so many posts. I was like, this is LinkedIn, not Facebook, but it's like, well, people engage with people all over the internet in all different types of ways that are just like, but I think it's because they're just so used to that's the only way that they can really like get it out. There's so few outlets for people, I think, healthy outlets.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So in terms of marketing and especially in light of the, you know, the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. you the how to market what's scary, uncomfortable, or, or counter cultural, as you stated. How, what does that look yeah. like?
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. I'm not gonna lie. It's really yeah. hard. I think when we're talking about these big ideas of systemic imbalance and oppression, and it's I mean, it's not cool, like it's not a cool water bottle that you know, filters water for you. Like it's hard and really forces us to like look at our humanity. But I think one of the things is And one of the strengths there is focusing on the humanity and focusing on who we are, not necessarily what we're doing, right? And so like we as human beings who desire, you can't tell me that someone does not have a desire to be connected to other people, right? Like That is what we do essentially as marketers is we connect brands and ideas to a human experience. And so when we start with the human experience, then we can pretty much brand anything and brand it well. I think the biggest thing too, is getting people to see themselves inside of not just the problem, but the solution and activate them. And so that way I can say like, well, this thing happened in the world and yes, it is tragic. Let's figure out ways that we can work towards the solution of that challenge and that tragedy rather than feeling like we're disempowered, right? I think a big part of marketing inclusion specifically is giving people empowerment to make mistakes, to say things that make themselves or other people uncomfortable, but also to continue to learn and grow. And I think we're in a time where what you think you knew is not necessarily accurate. And it might even be things that you thought you knew about yourself, but it's encouraging folks to continue to have that discovery and a growth mindset.
0: Yeah. If I'm honest, I am constantly, and actually it just happened a few times in this last week, I had a fleeting thought that I was like, oh my gosh, that is so, what's the word? not racist, but like something that used to be very common that now my brain is like, oh my gosh, we can't say that anymore. We can't, I can't think like that anymore. Like that is. And so, yeah, I think that it's incumbent on all of us to do that work, like to really think through, even if it's not something you were going to say out loud. Right. But to like train your brain.
1: Yeah. It's recognizing, but I think ultimately that's the goal, right? Like it's recognizing that we all have bias. We all come to the table with a a perceived idea of how somebody may or may not behave and recognizing is that an earned bias? Is that something based off of like who they actually are and how they're showing up for me in this meeting in this moment? Or is that something that comes from something that's completely separate from them? And I don't need to bring that into this meeting in this moment. Right. And like, recognizing that and stopping it is kind of the goal of learning to do better. Right. And so if we're not able to do that, if you never are training your brain to stop for a moment, then you'll always just repeat what you were
0: taught. And
1: not everything that we were taught is fair or accurate to the people that we were taught about it.
0: True. And a lot of things like I'm notorious for having no idea what lyrics mean in a song. I just like it's got a good (laughs) beat and I can dance to it. Like I'll just sing it. Like there are some songs that I way late in life when I realized what they were really about, I was like, oh. So I think there's some of that too, like things that we grew up with, things that we grew up hearing people say and we just repeated because we thought it was funny or whatever, like those kinds of Mm -hmm. things. That's some of the stuff I think that I've been, you know, as you know, whether it's, through trivia or whatever, thinking of a show that, you know, like, ooh, that's the stuff they used to talk about on that show, like, or the way they used to say it is like not cool at all. Yeah, Um,
1: and that's exactly why I say when you know better, you do better. Because I think sometimes people, and this isn't to escape of like, oh, well, you just didn't know. And so therefore you're not responsible. No, well, you honestly, truly, genuinely did not know because of your background, the way you grew up, the way that you are socialized, like where you currently live, the amount of power and privilege you had access to, you didn't know that. And so, but now that you know differently, then do differently, right? I tell my kids all the time, you did not come into this world knowing how to walk, but you learned. You didn't come into this world knowing how to talk, but you learned. So when we're talking about reading or doing math problems or any of those hard things that are hard for her right now, like you didn't know any of it. You're not going to get it immediately. The same goes for us as adults, right? I didn't know what I didn't know 10 years ago, but I took time to learn it. And now I do something different, right? In the same way she didn't know how to do a cartwheel, now she can do a cartwheel. And I just need to have that same grace for myself sometimes as adults, we forget that we're still learners, right? We're still learners. And especially as marketers, because our clients need us to be learners. We need to know their product. We need to know their audience. We need to know what are the things that the audience needs to know about our product, right? There's so many different places that we need to be curious about. And One thing that's cool about my role is I get to encourage people to be curious, not just about their business, but be curious about themselves, which to me is like kind of dope.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great job. Wow. Very cool. Well, and so then the the flip side to this, to like us being aware and making sure that DEI is part of our marketing mix, virtue signaling is a real thing, right? So we're seeing that. Maybe it's not genuine. How how can marketers make sure that equity and inclusion messaging comes across in an authentic way?
1: Yeah. So authenticity is really hard to clock and hard to like, like find data behind because it's one of those things yeah. like when you see it, you see it. When you Sentiment. know that it's not there, then you know it's not there. I encourage every organization to not just have your statement, but really dissect what those words mean and how you apply them inside of like your meetings that you have, right? If you have diversity as a pillar, is your meeting diverse, not just racially or gender wise, but is your meeting of 10 people on your, of stakeholders, let's say, are do they have diverse ideas? Do they, are diverse ideas championed or shut down, right? And so it starts, the authenticity permeates Inside the organization before you even get to making a decision about how you're gonna market. Because our consumers are smart. Because the first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna go to your website and look at your board of directors, or they're gonna go and look and try to like, well, what about this, that, and the other? There's a whole army of folks on TikTok and that are looking at, okay, you're marketing this way, but who owns you? And what do they feel like they like? There's one guy that I follow, and that's all he does. And it's so comical, but it's also like, no, we need to be better aware of this, right? So I think the thing about it is like be authentic in your decision making and that will shine through in your marketing. And it's kind of counterintuitive because I think as marketers, we're looking at the image, we're looking at, the way that the copy reads, is an inclusive language? All those things are very important, right? Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if you live inclusive strategy inside of your organization, it can't help but permeate into the products and the, the series that you create. So I would start with that. If you want to be on a surface level, like make sure that you're using inclusive language, right? Don't assume your product is only going to be marketed to one subset of the, you know, I mean, razors are a perfect example of that, right? Originally razors were just for men, right? But like now razors are marketed to men and women and they're separate and we can, you know, all that stuff. But I know a lot of men, especially men with sensitive skin who will use the female razors on their face because they have like that added moisturizer. Right. So don't assume Mm -hmm. that like, just because you market it a certain way that you don't need to also use inclusive language. Cause sometimes the product is just better suited, like regardless of gender, regardless of who you historically would have buy it. Like, I mean, my dad is a perfect example. He's a, he was a bald guy and he used to use, I was like, why do you have like, he's like, no, because the shaving cream has better moisturizer in it and it's better for my scalp. Like, And it smells he, fruity.
0: And
1: it smells good. He's like, what yeah. man doesn't want to smell good? You know? So yeah. That's, has, that's a really
0: good point. I use men's yeah. razors too. So the flip right. of that is also.
1: The flip is exactly yeah. like, and why do men only have a $5 shave club? I, I mean, that's
0: a shameless plug and an ask, but like,
1: <laughs> like well, I want right. a $5 shave club. Like, why is that not a thing for me? So
0: that's funny. Well, and and at, at a time when gender is also very fluid for a lot of people, too. That also goes to that, right? Like not needing to be gender specific. Yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. That's such good food for thought for our listeners. So we like to ask our guests to recommend a business book to our listeners. Do you have I have one.
1: I do. Okay. So it's called Inclusion on Purpose, an intersectional approach to creating a culture of belonging at work. I'm reading it right now, and it's blowing my mind, right? Like this whole idea of inclusion as a central strategy to create belonging, to have more money, is like because it's one thing to know it for the right thing to do, as far as like creating a better employee experience. But in order to create better product outcome, that to me is like a whole nother subset of intellectual curiosity for me. So it's a really great read about like centering those that you don't necessarily automatically center in your product development in order to create inclusion so that you can, Build better business outcomes, right? And so I'm like obsessed right now with this book. Um, awesome. Who's the author? It's, I'm gonna say her name wrong. I promise <laughs> you, and I apologize in advance. But I think it's Rashika Talishian. I think is how you say her last okay. name. But I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. But it's really, really great. Uh, and then yeah, I think the last time I was here, I suggested You Ink, which I went back and re- have reread since, and still it hits. It's so good. Like. Personal branding and that I just I feel like they have just so much to offer about communication, about online strategy, all the things. So I definitely would double down, double click on that one for sure.
0: Excellent. I love it. Well, thank you so much for that and for everything. It was wonderful to have you back. Thank Um, you. You know, let's not wait. Fifty episodes to have you back again, or however many. <laughs> that sounds been.
1: like a plan. Well, I hope that you have an amazing vacation and time off. I know y'all work so hard on this podcast, and it brings so much to so many people. So, thank you for your work, but also thank you for taking time to rest because you come back as your full self, and that's really important.
0: Yes, thank you so much. It can't be understated, or it like overstated that vacation is essential. So yeah, thank you for that. All right, my friends, this has been episode 129 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.